pastors in training here at Gospel Community Church, and I'm just happy to be able to come up here this morning and share in God's Word with you guys. Would you guys join me as we open in prayer? Father God, we come to you this morning, Lord, with just such humble hearts. We're so grateful to be in a place where we can come and worship you. We're grateful to have a building where we can come together and dive into your word and glorify your name, Lord. Um, as I'm up here, Lord, today I ask you one request. Strip me of Chris Polito and fill me with your Holy Spirit that I could do you a service in sharing your word today, Lord. Soften the hearts of those that are joined us today that they can hear your message and we can see your truths provided to us in your word. God, we love you. We thank you and we praise you in the precious and beautiful name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as I, as I was coming up um, with this message and a name for this message, I came up with this. F-A-I-T-H spells trust. And what I mean with that is these two words, they go together so often and they can mean the exact same thing at times. And at the same time, they could be so far apart from each other. And so what I mean by that is I, I came up with a little um, example that I can give you um, to kind of show you what I'm talking about of faith and trust being so close yet so far apart. Um, so as, as some of you guys may know, um, I do carpentry work, small handyman work, small remodeling types of things. And um, if you know anybody that I've done some work for, um, or you've on social media and you've looked and you've seen photographs of, of some of the work that I've done, you can see that I'm pretty capable of tackling uh, some jobs, remodeling type jobs, different things like that, okay? So now let's say that you, let me grab my water off of here real quick. Let's get that out of the way. Now let's say that you guys at some point, you decide, you know what? I need some work done at my house. I need a little job tackled in my own home. And you, you start asking around, and, and some people have told you, uh, well, yeah, Chris Polito does that type of stuff. Look into him. Or like I said, you've seen some photographs of it. And so you call me and you discuss with me something like, hey, Chris, what we're looking to do is we want to kind of take the main level of our house. We want to take all our belongings. We want to take them down and put them in the basement. And we want you to come in and strip off all of our old drywall, put up new drywall, and refinish it. Okay? And so based off our conversation now, based off what you've heard from other people in references, and based off what you've seen from photographs, you have faith that I could come in and I can adequately do the job in your home. Okay? So now we've come to this agreement, and, and we decided that we're going to start this job, and we're going to tackle this work, and I'm going to tackle this work for you, and now it comes time for action. We've talked about it. We've planned it. We, we've talked about uh, a price and all the things that go in it. Now it's time for action, okay? You get all your belongings, like everything you own, all your photographs, all your important papers, all of those things that uh, are, are so important in our household, and you've put those down in the basement for safekeeping, okay? Um, we got to keep in mind that we're stripping the drywall, but you still got your floors, you still got your carpet and things that are in the home. There's things there that um, you don't want damaged in the process. And I show up on day one to do the job, and I got two tools with me. I got a propane tank and a weed burner, and I got a power washer. And so I walk in with these two things, and you're like looking at me like, 
uh, what are those for? And I proceed to tell you, well, I got, I got this new method that I like to do. And what, what I like to do is I go through with the weed burner and I, I just give a good charring to all the drywall, just put some heat to it, really char that stuff up. And then I come through after and the water and stuff from this power washer, I can just blow the rest of it right off of there. And it really saves me from having to like physically pull it off and physically tackle this and do it. Now, all of a sudden... You have faith that I could do the job based on our conversations and stuff, but now that I'm standing here and I've put you in this tough position where we got damage to your water, your carpet, your flooring, water going through to all your stuff in the basement, do you actually trust that I can do the job? Completely different things. And so today we're going to take a look at a story. We're going to take a look at Abraham in the Bible. And Abraham, we know about his faith and his faith in God, but now he is put in a position where he's asked to do something really tough. And we're going to take a look at God's word and we're going to see why he is able in the face of this tough question and this tough request to really actually trust him as well as have faith in him and follow it out and do it. So if you wouldn't mind joining me, turn your Bibles to um, Genesis chapter 22. That's going to be our main text and then we're going to jump around a little bit and so there'll be some references up here. Uh, I'll urge you guys um, to really be able to follow along and see what I'm reading and what I'm speaking, to, to actually grab a Bible today or a, a device or whatever you're using and actually turn to there because we're going to have our main text up on the screen here, but the other ones, the other things we're going to revisit, um, I want us to look at, at, at God's Word together and actually see it and go over it. Genesis chapter 22 um, Starting in verse 1, I was telling Nick before service that I either need to invest in a large print Bible or some glasses, <laughs> because if these guys come up to preach and the, the music stands up to their neck and they're like, oh, Chris must have preached last week, and Nick had a good point, he's all, the Bible's probably cheaper than the glasses, so <laughs> we might have to go that route. Starting in verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go into the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains in which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went into the place which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship, and we will come again to you. And Abraham excuse me, took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took it in his hand, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together. And as Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, he, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So both of them went up together. And when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar, and there he laid the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son, and he laid him on the altar top on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But an angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, and seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. 
And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And as it is today on the mount um, of the Lord, it shall be provided. So I'll tell you guys, like, uh, in, in preparing for this message and now having a brand new son whose name is Isaac, like, this really struck the magnitude of the difficulty of what he was asked to do at this point and at this time. And so um, it, it really put that perspective, put that into perspective for me. And so it, it got me thinking, like, you know, I, I know we spend a lot of time uh, talking to God. We, get, we spend a lot of time praying to God and, and, and asking him for guidance and, and asking him, different things in our prayers, but I kind of feel like sometimes when we do that, we kind of have the ideal outcome placed in our mind. We, we kind of have the ideal outcome of how we like, would like those prayers to be answered or how we would like these situations to turn out, and when it don't turn out that way, that's where faith intersects trust. That's where those two come kind of on a collision course. Um, so... Abraham in this in this verse was just in these verses was just asked to do the one thing he could have never imagined. And now we know about Abraham's faith from his obedience in this situation, but this now it shows his trust in God in this situation. And um, so we kind of look at it. So what does Abraham have to base his trust off in this situation? He's just asked to take his son up onto a mountain, take him up there, and sacrifice him. There had to be something there. There had to be something there that he could lean on, that he could look to in order to have full trust in this situation. Well, he does. And we're going to turn back. If you guys want to start turning back to um, Genesis chapter 15, we'll go look at um, some verses there. We'll be in 15, 1 through 6. I guess I better turn there too. What does he have to base his trust on in this tough situation? He had a promise. God had made Abraham a promise a few chapters back as we see here, starting in verse 1. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. It said, fear not. And in, back in these chapters, he's called Abram and his wife's called Sariah. But for the sake of me not getting confused, we're just going to stick to Abraham and Sarah. So he said, Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord, O God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and an heir of my house is Eliza of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said, This man shall not be your heir. Your own son shall be your heir. And brought and he brought him outside and said, look towards the heaven and the number of the stars. And if you're able to number them, then he said, so shall your offspring. And, he, offspring. and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So now he's kind of met with this conundrum. He's like, okay, 
God made this promise to me that I'm going to bear a son and, and for, through my offspring, through my son, um, my, we're going to be as, counted as many as the stars. So he knows that even though he's asked this tough situation right here, he's asked by God to go out and sacrifice his son. When he starts sitting down really thinking about it and looking at it, what he, what he has to base his decision off is the character of God. He's basing his decision in this tough moment off the character of God. And now he could sit there and say, well, okay, wait a minute. So God came to me and spoke to me and made me a promise. And he told me I was going to have a son. And he told me through my offspring, our numbers were going to multiply. And there were going to be many great nations. And now, now he's asking me to take my son up onto the mountain and sacrifice him. So he can come to this uh, point in his mind where he's battling. He's like, so, I don't know, that seems kind of wishy-washy of him. He, he asked me to, uh, uh, told me that I was going to have a son and there was going to be uh, many nations through my offspring, and now he's asking me to kill him. But wait a minute, God has never showed wishy-washy character in this situation. So now he's came to this first point, and he's like really looked at it, and he's like, wait a minute. I need to look at this. I need to look at this a little further and, and investigate this a little more. Um, he kind of told him the answer. He told him everything he needed to know in this little conversation. So he, he's basing his decision later on that we looked at, kind of knowing in the back of his mind that this promise had been made to him. And like I said, God kind of told him everything he needed to know in this one conversation, like, all he really needed to do is listen. Oh, friends, if it were only that easy, <laughs> if all we needed to do were listen. Um, remember at the beginning I said, I think we, we kind of tend to pray and we, we seek guidance from God and then we kind of get our own uh, picture of what the ideal outcome would be for this situation and we, we, we kind of come up with this idea in his head. Our boy Abraham here, he... Um, he wasn't no different, really. We can see. Let's turn to Genesis 16, 1 through 6. If you guys want to turn there with me real quick, we'll take a look at these six verses. So now he's been promised that he's going to have a son. He's been promised that he's going to father many nations. But uh, I don't know. Maybe they're getting a little impatient. They're growing in age, getting a little older. And starting at 16, it said, Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne to him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abraham, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant that it may be that I shall obtain a ch child by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. And so after Abraham lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt upon her mistress. And Sarah said to Abraham, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave you my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked at her with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abraham said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power, and do with her as you would please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. 
So we have this ideal outcome of how, how we like things to, to go when we're seeking guidance from our friends or from God. And, and the, Abraham and Sarah in this instance, they were, they were no different. So God had made them a promise that they were going to have a son, and they'd grown in patience. And she's saying, he's prevented me from having a child. I'm getting up there in age. I got a great idea. Take my slave Hagar and go and have a child with her, and we'll call it our own child. Oh, but that little J word, jealousy, sets in. She's seen that she was conceived. She's seen that a baby was born. And now that ideal um, outcome that she had in her mind, that ideal picture that she painted in her mind, didn't seem so ideal after all. All of these things leading up, all of these things that he's experiencing right now, are proving as something that he can base his decision on when he placed his, not just his faith, but trust in God to take Isaac up onto the mountain. Um, later on in chapter 21, you guys don't really have to go to that one. We, go, we won't go into um, reading all of that. But later on in chapter 21, um, when it's time for Isaac to be weaned, um, which is, I think he's about three years old, and um, it's time for him to be weaned, um, Abraham is really excited about this. He's like, my son is being weaned. He's like, I want to throw a great party, get everybody together, and let's have a party. So they get everyone together, and they're having this party. And during the party, um, Ishmael, his son from the slave girl Hagar, he's over in the corner, and he's, kind of, he's laughing. Like, if you can picture it, I don't know, his age at the time, maybe 17 or something. But, so you got the 17-year-old son from the slave girl, the son of the flesh, and then you got the three-year-old son, Isaac, who's being weaned, who everybody is there to celebrate. And there's that jealousy again is kind of setting on. So he's over there razzing him, and he's laughing, and he's giving him a hard time. And Sarah sees this, and she becomes upset about this. She becomes upset to where she tells him, you know what? Get rid of the slave girl and her son. Get them out of here. Send them out of here. And um, it comes to a portion where uh, God tells Abraham... And this one might be a shock to you guys, to you fellas in the, in the, out here, but God says, listen to your wife, Sarah, whatever she tells you. <laughs> listen to your wife. I know a lot of us, probably, a lot of people underline, uh, wives submit to your husbands, but way back here before that, he's telling us, listen to your wives, gentlemen, listen to your wives. But he tells them, listen to your wife and do as she tells you. So he takes um, Hagar and he takes Ishmael and he sends them off and he sends them out into the desert and you picture the landscape of this time and you picture the heat of the day and how it is out there and sending them off by themselves is a very dangerous situation. It says in, it says in scripture that he sends them off with one wineskin of water and some bread. Abraham had he had money and power and prestige at this point. He could have put a, a, a caravan of people around them and send them out into uh, the wilderness together. But he sent mom and son with one wineskin of water and some bread. And, and they're out there, and they're out there in the in the wilderness, and and the water is gone, and and the heat of the day is pouring down, and. Um, Hagar, she separates herself from her son. She doesn't want to see him die. She doesn't want to see him perish. And as she separates and draws away from him, she cries out to the Lord, and he intervenes. And she opens her eyes after crying out to the Lord, and there's a well of water there, and he intervenes. 
he steps in on behalf of the son. So, um, Now, if we jump back in and look at our verses from today, can you pull up the um, 22, 1 through 14? We'll kind of take a look at a few things as we head through these verses here. And we see in verse 1, it says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Go and take your son Isaac and take him to the mountain and sacrifice him. And so when we think about, you know, how could God ask Abraham to take his son Isaac and take him onto the mountain and sacrifice him. Well, the key word that we see there in the first verse, it says, after these things. Now, I know a lot of you are probably uh, sitting out there and thinking, like, I, could, I don't know if I could ever do something like this. If God asked me to do something like this, I don't know if I could do it. And you may be right, because you may not be prepared and ready. God may not, you may not have went through the steps and the process that you need to be ready. But as we see in scripture here, Abraham had after these things, what things? All of these things, the promise, the, the having a son sent out into the wilderness already and God keeping that son alive. There are all of these things that had came up, had prepared him for this moment. We see down here a little further. Let me find it. In verse 5. We jump down to verse 5 and it says, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you, and we will come to you again. There's a couple things I want to point out about that statement. There is already a confidence in Abraham in that. Did you guys catch that word? He says, I and the boy will go over there to the mountain and worship God, and then we will come back. He doesn't say, we'll go over there, um, I'll kill the boy, and then I'm going to come back, and we'll deal it after that. He's showing a confidence based off the character of God in this point. And I, I, one of the things that grabbed me there, and I really want to point out, and like I urge you guys to do this when you're facing trials or, or tough decisions in your life. The key word in there, we were going to go over there to worship. I think so many times in life we, um, we go through tough decisions, we go through struggles, we're faced with these different things, and we look at it as a trial. We look at it as a struggle, instead of looking at it as an opportunity to worship. It might not be the outcome that we want, it might not be what we're looking for, but what would it look like that even in those tough times, Father God, I love you, you say you giveth and you taketh away. I want to take this time to worship and praise you through this situation. He turned this tough situation into an act of worship here. How could he have been so confident to say, we're going to go and we're going to come back? Because as we read, he was given the promise. He was given the promise and he was prepared. He was prepared by sending Ishmael out with um, just a skin of water. And then as we go on, it says, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on his son Isaac. And he took his hand in the fire and the knife. And so they both went out together and Isaac said to him, Father, Father, um, here I am, son. He said, Behold, 
the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb and the burnt offering? I Sorry, I kind of skipped a part there, but um, in verse 4 prior to that, it says, On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes, and he seen the spot on the mountain. So he took his son, he took a couple guys with him, they loaded up the donkeys and the wood and all the things that they needed for the sacrifice, and they went up to the spot, and he just waited. He waited for three days. Waited for three days for God to show him the spot where he was to sacrifice his son. And even though there's faith and there's trust and they've intersected and he is there and he's ready to follow out God's command, I'm sure those three days were not easy on Abraham. I'm sure there were so many things going on in his mind and so many things he was going through and so many thoughts. What am I going to tell my wife? Like, She's going to be mad. Oh, I bet, I bet that was one of the scariest parts for him. Like, she waited all these years, and now he has to go back and tell her, like, sorry. Sorry, Sarah. But the night before, the night before, <clears throat> the night before the, the third day when he saw the spot, um, something came to him. Something came to him that pointed him to the character and the power of God that helped him in what was to come. And um, now I know you guys are probably like, so like, what do you mean, pastor? I don't see the night before that something came to him or, or where he came to this conclusion. But if you guys will um, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, that one might be up here. It shows us right here in Hebrews chapter 11 that it says, By faith, when Abraham was tested to offer up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of who it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did as he received him back. Paul tells us later in the book of Hebrews that he, maybe he came to this realization, you know what, God has asked me to do this, and I'm up here, and we're on the mountain, and it's going down. Like, but based on the character of God and the power of God, I guess if he wants me to take my son, that means there's going to be a resurrection. He has the power to bring him up back from the dead. So based on the promise, knowing that that was going, going to go through, based on uh, the power and the might of God, he was able to wake up the next morning. We're going to jump around back to verse 9 of where we were. It said, when they came to the place of which God told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife and said, and an angel of the Lord said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him, for I know now that you fear God. Seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me, Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, there was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. The end of that story right there sounds eerily familiar to another um, event that took place in the New Testament. We look at this. It says, 
we take a look at some of the things that are eerily similar to this other event that happened, the, the birth of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus. If we think of the birth, um, we know that uh, Sarah was, she was about 100 years old. And we know that um, if any of you women know the term biological clock and uh, whatever, all that stuff, we understand how miraculous it sounds for a woman to bear a child at 100 years old. That's not your normal everyday birth. We think about Mary. Mary's pledged to be uh, wed to Joseph, and before the wedding, it came that she was pregnant. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The same kind of miraculous conception that happened years before with Sarah is now happening with Mary. Isaac truly was born according, according to the Spirit. It was the work of the God that allowed the 91-year-old Sarah to conceive, and it was the power of God that brought about Jesus, and even after her greatest miraculous birth. Like Isaac, the Lord Jesus was born according to the Spirit, and it would go on to fulfill, fulfill many of these events that we see pictured in the life of Isaac. The sacrifice of a promised son. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, who you love, and go on to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I tell you about. Isaac was taken onto a mountain to be sacrificed, a sacrifice that didn't happen. But there was a sacrifice that did happen, and it was at the same place on the same mountain all of these years later. Where Jesus Christ went up, and instead of it being stopped, it was fully happened. And just like Abraham, or just like Isaac, who was handed the wood by his father to carry it up onto the altar of his own sacrifice, Jesus Christ strapped his own cross on his shoulder and carried his own cross up to the mountain, to the same mountain, to not be come close to a sacrifice, but come to fully be sacrificed. In this instant, with Isaac, the sacrifice didn't happen. The sacrifice didn't happen because in the thicket there was a ram stuck by his horns. In the story of Jesus, the sacrifice did happen because Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God who came and was sacrificed for our sins. In the story of Isaac, we take a look at this ram we take a look at this ram. This ram, it plays a part. This ram was placed into this situation to spill its blood to save another, Isaac. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was placed into this situation to spill his blood to save others, all of us. As we take a look at Jesus in all of Scripture, this points out so much of what was to come. It points out so much of what he would go through, and we, and we see it in this Old Testament story. In closing, friends, like, I urge you to let your faith and trust intersect. 
Let your faith and trust intersect as you do in tough situations. And when you are faced with these tough situations, don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on what you think is right or what the ideal outcome may be. Lean on the character and power of God that we know and we're provided through his word. Lean on the truths of the Bible and seek his guidance through that. And I can tell you this, how the first sacrifice was stopped, the second one wasn't. Any of the shame and guilt and things that you are carrying around that begin to stack on and burden you and weigh you down, those things, they were paid for. They were paid for fully and finally in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There's no need to weigh yourself down. Lay it at the cross and lay it there with faith and trust, knowing from the truth of God's word that they were paid for. I love you guys. I love all of you guys. And if you're ever struggling with anything, if there's ever any burden that you have and it seems too much to bear, I'm here to lend my shoulders and bear those burdens with you. Come to me, Nick, Tony, any of us. We're here to love on you, to lift one another up, and to walk through these things together with a roadmap. We're not going to walk you through on our understandings either. It would be crazy for us to tell you to seek the truth in God's word and not guide you with the truth in God's word. Let's pray. Father God, we're so, we're so amazed by your power and your majesty. Me, being the way my mind works, I am so amazed by the planning and all that you've done in your complete sovereignty over my life and this world, Lord, that everything that we encounter and everything that has happened has all been part of your plan from the very beginning. Strengthen us when we're weak. Shut us down when we're bullheaded. As we tend to wrestle with the flesh, God, use your Holy Spirit to guide us back to the holiness that you created us for. Guide us back and humble us so that we can open our eyes and we can see the need for our Savior. Jesus, we thank you for your love and your sacrifice, your blood being spilled out to save our lives. Beautiful name we pray.